preparation for communion, I'm going to read the section of scripture that we're actually going to look at for our sermon today. In a few minutes, we'll look at, we're going through the Gospel of Mark, and we come to the section of scripture in the Gospel of Mark about Jesus' crucifixion. And I want to read for us this morning what Mark's Gospel in the 15th chapter has to say about the crucifixion of Jesus. Because that's what communion is all about. It says, And then they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which is translated the place of the skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide which man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saves others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry, and he breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. When we celebrate communion, we recognize like the centurion that truly this man is the Son of God. That truly this Jesus is the Son of God. And that the Son of God came and did the unimaginable. He came as God himself into this world. He lived the perfect life. And he willingly went to a cross to die for you and for me. During our communion time, I read our text from the Gospel of Mark that is going to be our text for today. Um, we're almost to the end of the Gospel of Mark, and we're to the, to the day of the crucifixion, the very end of the Gospel. And um, during communion, as we read that, and we partook in communion, what we do in communion is we remember again what Jesus did and what he went through. When he went and he hung on a cross and he shed his blood for us. It's the old story that, that uh, we tell over and over and over and over again. Because we need to remember it again. To remember just what this whole walk is really all about. Because we can get so sidetracked into thinking that Christianity is about all kinds of things. About buildings and ministries. It's not. It's about Jesus. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. And so communion, we remember again what Jesus did. That he, that he drank from the cup of God's wrath. 
when he hung on the cross, that he really did say at one point, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he had that sense of abandonment because of me and you. Because we are bound by sin. He did it to break the sin control in our lives. He did it all for us. Well, today, we're going to look more closely at that text that we read already. And I want us to do something. I want us to imagine that we were really there on that day. And I want us to ask ourselves a question if we were there on that day. And this is the question. What do we see while we're standing on the ground looking up at Jesus on the cross? And I want you to to put this up here. Ask ourselves the question as if we were there that day. What do we see from the ground looking up at Jesus on the cross? What do we see in the events of that day, the events that we read about from Mark chapter 15? You see, I don't know exactly what it would have looked like that day. I personally think that Jesus would have, would have been much more um, beaten than that based on the descriptions. And, and, but I didn't want to put a picture up that was so graphic that we couldn't stand to look at it. And I don't know if Jesus looked anything like that. But what would we see? I know one thing we would see for sure, based on the text, we would see a tortured man, a man hanging there in absolute anguish and agony upon a cross. I know that we would see the Son of God, because that's who is, even the centurion understood it, the way he gave up his life. That he finally just said, it is finished, and he breathed his last. That he was in control the whole time. We'd see a man in anguish. We'd see the Son of God. We would have seen him suffer for six hours. When I read this text, that really grabbed my heart the last this week as I looked at this text. And, and I guess I probably knew it before, and maybe you've known it before. But I guess the torture is so bad of the crucifixion, I wanted to kind of believe it was less. But it says right in the text we read today during communion that he hung there for six hours. When I go to the dentist and they hit the nerve... And I think of the pain of that, of that nerve pain. And one little thing, I jump out of the chair. I remember one time in Cambodia, one of the times, I mean, I sat and cried, and Suzanne sat and cried because Brett had a filling in America and it fell out in Cambodia. And when we lived in Cambodia, there were no dentists. We made a mistake. People said, don't go to a Cambodian dentist. And we found one, oh, it's trained by a French person. And therefore, they're supposed to know what they're doing. And normally with the medical care, we had to get on a plane and fly to Thailand. But it's like, we can't afford to fly to Thailand and have a tooth fix. So Suzanne and I took them to this Cambodian dentist, biggest mistake of our lives, one of them. And we watched with no anesthetic as they strapped Brett in a chair, basically, and drilled out a tooth. And Brett never wiggled. He sat there. It was ruddy. A filling was out. And they drilled. And tears are running down his face. And he's not moving. And Suzanne's grabbing me saying, stop them. Stop them. And I'm like, honey, they can't. He has to do it. By the way, they wrecked his tooth. And so back here, he had four root canals on it. But um, but anyways, here's the deal. That pain hurt. It hurt me watching him, but it lasted a total of maybe that part 10 or 15 minutes. It seemed like an eternity. Jesus hung there for six hours in agony. You know, what do you see as you look up the, at the cross? We would see all these things, this tortured son of man in incredible anguish and agony. But if we look closer... What else do we see? And that's what I want us to contemplate today. As we look closer, 
What else do we see? And there's two things that I want to talk about. There's a dozen I could pro- that I came up with, but two that I felt compelled by the Lord to share. And the second one I want to share, I was kind of confused on why the Lord had had me share it, but I think it'll make sense by the end. But the first one is this. What else do we see when we look closer? We see this, first of all. We see how incredibly serious God is about reconciling lost man to himself. It was a horrible event. It was torturous and terrible, and no human being or animal should ever have had to suffer what Jesus suffered. And as we look at that, we understand how incredibly serious God is about reconciling lost man to himself. And I believe so often in Christianity, we forget the seriousness of man's need of salvation. We just think it's very self-centered, it's all about me, what do I get out of it? And we forget the seriousness of it all. And we cloister ourselves with other people who are Christ followers, and we forget that we stop looking at the world, and we, see, we forget the seriousness of this. When I look at the cross, what I see is the seriousness that God has about reconciling lost man to himself. See, God knows the truth. God knows that man apart from a saving, the saving grace of God is absolutely lost, damned to an eternity in pain and suffering, and that sin caused all that. And we may believe that or we may reject that in our world. We may reject it or we may embrace it, the truth of that, but God simply knows that it is fact and that he doesn't want that suffering eternally for anybody. So he has taken the most serious action that anyone could ever take, God himself dying in man's place upon a cross. You see, when we look at the cross, we see how serious God is about reconciling, bringing together lost man and God himself. See, it's the focus of all he has ever done. Reconciling mankind is the focus of all he'll ever do and anything he's doing today. Nothing else is more important to God than, to th- than this. And the proof that that is true is that the incredible price that he paid to see it accomplished. The truth that this is the one most important thing to God, reconciling lost man to himself, that it is the most important, the proof that it's true is the incredible price that he paid to see it accomplished. Death of his son upon a cruel cross. It cannot get more serious than that. As we stand on the ground and we look up, that has to be what we see. You see, God knows that man's only hope is found in being reconciled, in being united with him with himself. Man's only hope is having their sins forgiven through Jesus' sacrifice and being brought into the family of God. And that's why it tells in the story of the crucifixion. That's why it says that when Jesus died, you may say, why is this in there? When Jesus died, the temple veil was ripped in half from top to bottom. You kind of wonder why that's in there? It's ripped in half from top to bottom, and it's put in the story of the crucifixion to show the separation that had kept man from the presence of God was done away with through the death of Christ. That no longer would the presence of God be restricted to the high priests who could go into the Holy of Holies one time a year when they entered to, to do, do a, uh, offer a blood atoning sacrifice. But now at the cross, the veil is torn in two from top to bottom. And in Christ, we are brought into the family of God. We are reconciled to God if we ask Christ into our life. You see, mankind may think there's another way. 
Mankind may think there's many other ways to have their sins dealt with and have life really lived to its fullest and have an eternity in heaven. But I'll tell you, God knows there is not another way. And the proof is how serious he was about this one way. God knows that one day every person faces heaven or hell. And the way, the way God says that we can find heaven is through the death of Jesus on the cross. And that's the only way. He's so serious about that. It's that serious an issue. We see that if we really look at Jesus on the cross. See, God knows that it's the only way that we can be reconciled is through the death of Christ on the cross. And that when that happens, that individuals and families and nations are rescued and changed for eternity. And that's why he's so serious about it. This last Wednesday, in our Wednesday night class here at church, we were talking about this issue and one of the people in our class spoke up and began to talk about how bringing Jesus into their family line has changed everything. And the person in the class said that this person, um, his, great, his, his grandfather, had been a, a, a full-blown alcoholic. And how that alcoholism had caused such terrible um, suffering in their family. And that because his, his grandfather was an alcoholic, that his father then was raised in that same environment, and his father was walking on the exact same path, and that alcohol addiction was ruining his family. But then, but then his father met Jesus. He really met Jesus. A lot of people go to church, and they don't meet Jesus. But he met Jesus. And he received the salvation that God had so seriously provided for him on the cross that he proved how serious he was about it. And when he brought Jesus into his life, Jesus then came and changed everything. And he talked about how their whole entire family is different now. How today an entire family line has been altered. That that man came to Christ and now his three children, how it's changed their lives. And that the one who was in our class, who was the, the son said, you know, I, I look at his life and now he serves God with all of his heart and his wife serves God with all her heart, married a Christian gal. They have wonderful children who will serve the Lord wonderfully and I look at their family and I go, they're doing it right and their life is blessed by the presence of God because of a dad one generation earlier who met Jesus, but it didn't stop there. The other son is in full-time ministry and pastors a church in another state. And he's married to a Christian gal and they're raising Christian kids and their entire trajectory of their family has been changed. But it doesn't stop there. Because the man had another, another child, it's a daughter. And that daughter is, is, a, is a solid Christ follower, married to a Christ follower, and they have children who are following Christ. And one of their sons now is moving to another country to be trained in ministry because he's going to serve the Lord in full-time ministry. All because an alcoholic got saved. That's why Jesus says it's so important. That's why he's so serious about it. Because it's not about games. It's not about church. It's not about, about religion. It's about changed lives. And that's how you change a family. And that's how you change a nation. That's how God wants to change his community. People being serious about their relationship with Jesus. Because when we look at the cross, we see how serious he is. You see, God knows that that's the only thing that really matters. And that's why he's so serious about it. And this reality makes me ask myself, and I hope it makes you ask yourself today, am I as serious about walking in a right relationship with God and leading others into a right relationship with God as He is? He proved how serious He is about it. 
in agony, hanging on a cross and dying, the perfect Son of God who knew no sin, who never did anything, didn't have to have any penalty paid for his life. He proved how serious he is. And I just asked myself, and then I ask you to ask yourself, are we nearly as serious about the things of God, about our own walk with God, about the recognition that that we could bring a neighbor to Christ and the trajectory of their entire lineage could be changed for eternity. That their children, their children after them, their children after them could know Jesus and could be rescued from, from, from destruction because of injecting Jesus into their life. Are we as serious about that as we are about the rest of the things that fill our time and take our, take our energy and take our resources? You know, I think that that is something we should ask ourselves as we look upon Jesus on the cross. You say, well, Pastor Mark, you're kind of a downer today. Not at all. This is not a downer. I'll tell you what, there is no way ever to live real life, to experience the fullness that God has for you without seriously taking Jesus for who he is. It's, a, it's the pathway to blessing. What else? We see the seriousness of God when we look at the cross. What else, though, as we stand on the ground and we look up at the cross, what else do we see? The second thing. The one that I said you're going to maybe think is a little odd, but you'll see where we're going with it in a minute. Because there were literally a dozen that I felt were really important insights, but just two today. The second one. It's this. We see that people who seriously walk with God will be mocked and insulted by those who don't. And I really think this is for somebody in here, for many of us in here actually today. That people, maybe for every teenager in this place, all of you who struggle maybe with really being serious because of the reaction you will have from other people. That we see as we stand on the ground looking up, we see that people who seriously walk with God will be mocked and insulted by those who don't. Think about the crucifixion. Think about the reality of what went on that day. Jesus was completely doing the Father's will. He was doing exactly what he should. Death by crucifixion at the hands of unrighteous men was God's plan, not man's plan. Jesus knew it was the Father's perfect will for him to give his life as a sacrifice on the cross. Even the details of the crucifixion had been foretold long before it happened, showing that it was God's plan to the point of of being crucified with robbers. Look at the text we read earlier in Mark chapter 15. A point that you, I tried to emphasize a little bit as I read this morning, but that I, that I hope it sheds some light on things for us today. That, that in Mark 15, verses 27 and 28, it just inserts this, this commentary. And they crucified him, they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Verse 28, and the scriptures were fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. It says something to us. It says that he was living out the perfect pre-planned plan of God, Jesus was fulfilling God's plan, even to the point of who he was crucified with. And that Jesus took that incredibly seriously, and as he took it seriously, it cost him everything. Yet the religious and the irreligious people taunted him and mocked him and insulted him because of his seriousness. Look at verse 29 and following. Here's here's the man completely fulfilling the will of God, being crucified 
for doing the will of God. And this was the reaction from the religious and the irreligious. Instead of saying, look what he's doing as we do, we sing the song, oh, the wondrous cross. They, this is their reaction to it. Verse 29, those passing by were hurling abuse at him. They were wagging their heads and saying, ha, exclamation point, ha, you are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. And in the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others. He cannot even save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. That's, the, that's what God, Jesus got at that moment for being serious about following him. The religious and the irreligious taunted and mocked and insulted him. And you say, well, Pastor Mark, why is this so important today? It's for this reason. Because the same thing will happen to you if you seriously walk out God's plan for your life. And the reason I want to warn, tell you about today is just to let you know before it happens. It's always easier to know something's going to happen before it happens, and then you go, oh, this is just supposed to happen this way. I want you to know up front that when you get serious with God, it requires death to yourself. God calls us to give up this life, our own life, the life of this world, in order to gain real life. Friends, and there is a real death that occurs in coming to Christ. That's why we baptize people, to symbolize the death and the resurrection in Christ. There's a real death that occurs spiritually. Death has to come. Death to ambitions that are contrary to God's path. Death to lusts that keep us from fully following after Christ. And Jesus calls us then to die to the old, die to what we know in order to live with Him. And when we do that, seriously, that makes people uncomfortable and they misunderstand. And I'll tell you the truth, when people are uncomfortable and when they misunderstand, it's their natural reaction to then attack and just criticize. And that's what they did to Jesus and that's what they will do to you if you choose to walk seriously with Christ. See, Jesus himself said that this would be the case in Matthew chapter 5. In the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount... In the section that we describe as the Beatitudes, he describes a type of a life that is blessed by God. Turn with me there in Matthew chapter 5, and I want to show you something that maybe you didn't notice before. That Jesus, long before the cross, understood what happens when you seriously follow after the Father. In verses 3 through 9 of the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes what serious-minded followers of Jesus will be like. That's why it's called the be attitudes, what you will be like, what your attitude will be like if you follow after Christ. Look at starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. It's the, the description he gives looks nothing like the description of what our society would elevate as successful character traits. Poor in spirit. Understanding that you're in need spiritually. Mourning, hungering for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. 
Yet these are qualities Jesus says define those who seriously follow after him. And I'll tell you, friends, these qualities make others uncomfortable. Why? Because when they see them in you, and they saw them in Jesus, they recognize their own shortcomings. They recognize their own failures. So what they do, they recognize that the Spirit of God is telling them to be the same, and they don't want to be. So what they do is they insult, and they mock, and in Jesus' case, they crucify. And that's exactly what Jesus said would happen in verses 10 through 12. Look at verses 3 through 9. He gave the character traits. But in 10, 11, and 12, he says, what will happen if you live these character traits? Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He starts off in 3 to 9 and he tells the character qualities that should be in a person who's serious about Jesus. And then in 10 through 12, he shows people's reaction to those who exhibit these qualities. He said they're going to criticize you, they're going to persecute you. See, Jesus being mocked and insulted on the cross reminds us that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But friends... Scripture says to be glad for that, for a reason. Number one, it's, a, it's an indication that you're probably doing it right. You ask yourself, if that's not happening at all, is there any, any evidence you're not, that you're living it right? But also, he says in the text, you'll be glad for your reward in heaven is great. And friends, eternity is a lot longer than this mortal life. And that's what you ought to be living for. We just passed a day on the calendar. A day that, that remembers one of the great people in history who experienced this. This idea of living serious for God and then the religious and the irreligious went after him because of it. See, the last Sunday of October every year is a commemoration of something. Anybody know? Somebody who was raised like me in the Lutheran church. Reformation Day. All, ref, just, it's just, just before that. Reformation Day. October 31st, the last Sunday in October every year is Reformation Day. The day set aside to remember what Martin Luther did in 1517 in Germany. And remember, that's not Martin Luther King. When I, got, when I was a brand new believer, I could never figure out there was two of them. I could never figure out why church was talking about this, the civil rights guy until I figured out that there was a man that was Martin Luther King was the namesake of. That in 1517 in Germany, Luther was a Catholic monk who became frustrated by the church's departure from the foundational teachings of Christ in Scripture. So he began to challenge false teaching. And in 1517, he did something. He nailed what was called the 95 Thesis to the door of a church in Wittenberg, Germany, which was 95 statements saying, let's have a debate open debate about these things. He said, they're not right. He was one of them. And he said, I want to talk about these things. I want us to ask, are we really following Scripture? And he wanted to bring some reform to his church. And instead of discussing the matter with Luther, rather the church, church sought to arrest him. And fortunately for Luther's sake, he was hidden by a bunch of people at the university that he taught at. And they hid him because they knew if they found him, they would kill him. Because the church has done it for years. That's what Christianity does. 
often is we kill people who disagree with us, even though we say we're all about love. One of the black spots. But eventually, what the church did is they labeled Martin Luther a heretic, and they excommunicated him, all because he stood for the Word of God. Well, eventually, as we know, that's what Protestantism came out of, and many of the churches that we have histories in came out of that man saying, there must be something, we must, let's talk about these things that don't line up with the Word of God. Persecuted for simply doing what God had called them to do. You know, looking up at at Jesus on the cross, and looking across the years of Christian history, we find that people who seriously walk with God will be mocked and insulted by those who don't. They'll be mocked and insulted by those within their own church family who are threatened by their existence, threatened by the way they walk. Now, I'm not trying to say we get weird and radical, but I'm saying if you're serious about God, it brings, it brings, uh, it brings conviction to other people's lives. We don't live in a way to try to do that. It just happens naturally. And Jesus said when that happens, you should rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's saying, listen, you're in good company. And friends, if you're going to be serious about your walk with Jesus, then you need to keep your eyes on the reward in heaven that awaits you. That eternal reward is infinitely greater than any limited earthly prize you may require or you may acquire here and now. When I look at the cross, it reminds us to live for eternity because this life will come to an end. Jesus, after six hours, breathed his last and gave up his spirit and died. And someday we'll all face the same thing. Where one day there's a day that you have your last breath And the cross reminds us that we live for eternity because this life is short. That's what I see when I look up at the cross. And the question we need to ask ourselves as we close is, Lord Jesus, am I really in a serious relationship with you? Really, God. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what anybody else thinks of me. You know the inside. You know me in here, God. Am I really in a serious relationship with you that actually changes how I live? That I'm becoming more like Jesus? That, uh, that the Beatitudes are more of a description of me today than they were last year? And more this year than they were three years ago? Am I becoming more like Jesus? So as you look at the cross, you ask yourselves, am I really serious with God? Would you stand with me this morning? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, this morning is just a serious look at a serious topic. Lord, your death upon a cross. There's no way to make that frivolous. As we go through scriptures just section by section, we come to the crucifixion, there's no way of trying to, 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 to paint a smile on it and make it wonderful. It was horrible. It was horrible on purpose because lost humanity is horrible. You wanted to show us just how serious you are about bringing people into a right relationship with you. Holy Spirit, I ask right now you would just begin or continue just to minister in the lives of every one of us in this place. God, you'd open up our eyes to the truth about ourselves. 
Help us not to be blinded by religion, blinded by the opinions of others. Help us to be really honest right now and ask the question, is Jesus really my everything? Is Jesus really my all in all? Can I really say, take the world and give me Jesus? Or do I say, give me Jesus and, and Jesus and, and Jesus and? Only you know that, God.